Hello and welcome to the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast. This is the show where we talk about all things transportation, anything that gets you from here to there. I am the traffic anchor and the transportation reporter for Denver 7 News, Jason Luber. And if you would like to be a part of the show, you always can be. You can contact me on any of the contact links in the description of the show. Or, of course, you could call the listener hotline, the number 303-832-0217. And that is a free call if you have uh, a cell phone uh, <laughs> or any kind of phone, I think. Are you still nervous about germs flying in the air, especially when it comes to being, let's say, in an airplane or an airport with a lot of people around, maybe riding on public transportation? We are all keenly aware, especially since the pandemic, of the presence of germs and viruses that are floating around us and on anything we're touching. Well, what do we do about it? Do we just use a a ton of hand sanitizer? Some people decide to wear a mask and and handle it that way. But what if there was an easier way where you didn't have to do anything? Well, that is happening right now thanks to disinfecting lighting. And it could be coming to a plane or a bus or a train near you. Now, to talk all about this is someone I met about a year ago in Golden, Colorado. Brian Stern is the CEO and the co-founder of Puro UV Disinfection Lighting. And you can find them at purolighting.com. And Brian joins me now. Brian, thanks for being here on the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast. Awesome. Jason, thank you very much for having me today. All right. So we're going to talk more broadly about Puro and the lighting and how it works in just a minute. But first, how has the testing gone so far on that Easy Mile autonomous shuttle that uh, we took a tour of out there at the School of Mines a year ago? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So testing actually went very, very well. Um, it was a great application for us because it was only 15 minutes from our office. So our engineers were able to, to kind of jump out there, do some additional testing, make sure that the units were running correctly. Um, for that system, we designed uh, a continuous air disinfection unit that could be ceiling mounted uh, on the actual uh, shuttle itself um, and disinfect all the air within that shuttle. Um, and so worked uh, worked very, very well. Um, was a great test bed for that new product. Um, and you'll see that product coming to market here pretty soon. Uh, that's neat. Right, right out of college, you were working on LED lighting there at University of Denver. So were you always interested in lights? When did the uh, spark for lights, as you will, come yeah. to you? That definitely. So uh, started, we started our first company, LED Supply, uh, just two years out of college. Um, I was an IT consultant after college, and I worked for a little startup um, and started uh, LED Supply Company on the side. Um, I found LED lighting just kind of intriguing. Um, I was always uh, kind of techie, and uh, what was happening in the lighting space, I just I, I, I found very interesting. And so uh, my business partner, Webb Lawrence, and I uh, decided to jump in. Um, we started developing products, um, having them manufactured by a contract manufacturer and bring them to the U.S., um, and thus became LED Supply. So we were one of the first manufacturers of LED high bays in the U.S. market, um, as well as a couple other uh, LED categories. And then that business grew from uh, Webb and myself at my kitchen table to uh, today, we've got 56 employees across uh, three different companies um, and uh, two main offices across the U.S., so it's it's grown quite a bit. Did, did you like lights as a kid? Is that maybe where the spark came from? So, uh, so I, I just, to be honest, I thought it was just kind of like an intriguing technology. Um, 
I, I wasn't very into lighting as a kid. Um, I was a business major at University of Denver and um, I was always into energy efficiency. So that was kind of one of my passions. Um, LED had the promise of being a really efficient light source. And today LED is you know 90% more efficient than some of the traditional light sources that were on the market uh, 10 or 15 years ago. So um, that's really what, what kind of sparked my interest was the energy savings play. Um, when we first started the business, we were focused on a very niche application, cold storage warehouse lighting. We had some connections into that space and LEDs run exceedingly well in cold temperatures, whereas traditional lighting uh, burns hot in cold temperatures. So, you know, you have three, 400 degree light sources uh, that are not only, uh, you know, creating a lot of heat, but then are also not very efficient at producing light. So um, that was how we first got into the space was the cold storage industry. And then today we've expanded that company, LED Supply, into all commercial and industrial applications. Um, and so we do everything from, you know, roadway lighting uh, that you'd see throughout your city to, uh, you know, warehouses to multifamily developments, a whole, whole variety of different types of lighting. A couple of different things there. One, uh, I, I still hold a bit of a grudge against LED lights, and, it, and it's mainly just because I have to learn lumens instead of watts. Yep. So <laughs> uh, it, it, there, there, there is there's a bit of a learning curve, and I would say the normal consumer has still not completely adjusted. No. And the color uh, to, temperatures, and the you know one looks like this, and one looks like that, and I mean, come on, I just I, the Jill GE soft white seventy five, boom, I know what I got. <laughs> well, the, the beauty of an LED light compared to like a traditional incandescent is you do actually have a variety of different color temperatures. You can pick and choose. You can also color tune. So you can select within the same product. But then the product itself ends up at lasting 10 to 20 times longer than one of those traditional light sources. And so over the long run, uh, using, you know, 80 to 90 percent less energy and the product should last, uh, you know, a decade or longer in many cases. And you mentioned how cool, much cooler they uh, they emit energy. Right. So that's that's good and bad. It's good because in the our, our TV studio, it's cooler. So I don't have to be in there sweating all the time. Uh, but it's bad because the traffic signals, when the lights are on, the snow then piles up. It doesn't have a chance to warm up because the old incandescent bulbs would keep it warm and the snow would melt. Now the snow piles up there. <laughs> yep, that, that was actually one of the first uh, kind of issues that people found with uh, LED uh, streetlights. Um, was was this the snow wasn't melting off in the same way or at the same efficiency. LED still produces heat. But if you think about any type of like a light source, so uh, you have a certain amount of energy that's going in and a certain amount of light that's coming out. Um, any of the excess is typically burned off as heat. So it's it's an inefficient way of producing light um, for uh, like traffic traffic lights. Um, so that that was an issue maybe five, 10 years ago. Um, they actually will, in some cases, will put heaters in them um, to, to melt them off in super cold environments like Alaska and like Northern Canada. But um, in most applications, you're still, you still are producing enough heat where it will melt, um, just not at that same kind of burning, uh, burning temperature that it was traditionally. And, and it's neat that it's a series of little dots instead of just one bulb. So if a couple of them go out, you can still see the overall signal. Correct. Yeah, which is a which is a much better way to run it um, for the for that type of application. But yeah, in general lighting, um, the LEDs themselves really don't ever burn out unless there's some sort of like a defect in the actual placement on a board. 
The LEDs will last for an exceedingly long time. It's typically an electronic component that fails before the actual diode will ever fail. Interesting. My guest is Brian Stern, CEO and co-founder of Puro UV Disinfection Lighting. You can find him at purolighting.com. How did this idea to kill viruses with light come about? It had to be before the outbreak of the COVID, right? It, it was. So it was, it was about four years ago now. Um, so one of our largest customers uh, is Siemens, who's a huge multinational. And we've developed uh, kind of a number of, I would say, niche lighting products for them. Um, they'll sometimes come to us with uh, some unique ideas or some like challenges that they're having. Uh, and we will develop a product to help solve them. Um, and so this wasn't the first time that that happened, but um, they they actually introduced us first to UV lighting. Um, and uh, we started evaluating it um, and uh, decided that it was an interesting category um, that wasn't, uh, it wasn't an overly developed category at that point. This was about four years ago. And we saw applications within the healthcare space, um, within the athletic space, so disinfecting you know surfaces within athletic environments, um, and uh, you know decided to kind of take the leap. So we built a division of our company called Puro, um, which now is its own entity today, um, and started selling into healthcare, into athletics, into a couple other categories. Um, and then the pandemic hit. Um, we were having success before the pandemic, um, and we had a very unique technology that we were selling into the market. Um, and then uh, once the pandemic came, uh, we found ourselves into some really interesting opportunities. So uh, the city of New York, uh, a transit reached out to us like at the very, very early on and said, you know, can your technology potentially be used to disinfect all the subways and buses throughout New York? Um, well, the technology had originally been developed for operating rooms. So it was, you know, disinfecting surfaces there within operating rooms. We had never tested it in a transit environment, um, but it was small, um, it was lightweight, and we had a way to use it mo in a mobile setting. And so um, I flew to New York, I think it was uh, the second week of March, like March 15th, something like that. Um, right when the pandemic was just starting to happen, New York was kind of, uh, was kind of ground zero um, for, uh, for the virus. And there was all this rumor that, uh, you know, they were going to be shutting down their transit um, for the first time in like 150 years. FAA was talking about potentially shutting down air traffic. Uh, people were very nervous and there was a lot of just unknowns at the time. Um, so I, I flew to New York, we demoed the product, we showed how it could be used in a subway setting. Um, and this was all very public. There was a lot of, a lot of press on it. Um, and we got, we were selected as the technology to disinfect the subways and buses for the city of New York at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, and it was one of the largest UV surface applications ever deployed in the world. Um, and as part of that, we were the third organization in the world to test against live SARS-CoV-2 virus. Um, so if you recall back, you know, a few years ago now, people didn't really know much about the virus. Um, some of the lab environments hadn't even figured out really how to culture the virus. Um, they, they were starting to. And so um, at that time, just to test their product on live virus took, uh, it, it took them two weeks to culture enough virus so that they can actually have a real test. Um, and, uh, and so we're the third company in the world to test against the virus. We were found to be extremely effective. And then we went on to win that project. Um, from there, the company you know, exploded in growth. Um, we we got a tremendous amount of press. We took on some outside investments. Uh, we spun the business off from LED supply um, to its own entity. 
Um, and you know, today, uh, the two businesses kind of run independently, um, and are both in, in growth mode, which is exciting. Uh, it sounds amazing. That's an amazing story. And it, it brings me back to those days, as you said, back to the first of the pandemic when we didn't know what killed it, what made it live, what, why, you know, is it in the air? Is it on everything we touch? It, it was really scary at that time. So let's talk about the technology specifically. Is it just the light that kills the germs? Is it a special wavelength of light, a special color of light, like a black light? Yeah, that's it's a great question. So today we have a variety of different types of UVC technologies that that we deploy, and I can talk more about the different a- applications and environments that they're deployed in. Um, but it's primarily the UVC spectrum. So uh, UV is a non-visible light spectrum, um, and within that, there's UVA, UVB, UVC. Um, UVC being the most energetic of the three wavelengths. UVA and UVB are the two spectrums that make it through the Earth's atmosphere. And those are the spectrums that you know will cause sunburn and skin cancer. UVC is a, it's a shorter wavelength um, and more energetic. Um, and because it doesn't make it through the Earth's atmosphere, uh, the Earth has life. Um, UVC is very effective at uh, breaking down microbial organisms in a variety of different ways. It damages kind of the outer membranes of their cells. It breaks down their DNA. um, And so it causes them to not be able to reproduce. Um, And so we use UVC uh, in a variety of different ways to disinfect surfaces, air, or both um, in occupied spaces and unoccupied spaces. So, um, so it's not a light that we can see. So you have to have supplemental lighting, like your traditional LED lights, so I can see. But this is a—it wouldn't if I was in a dark room. It wouldn't give me any light. That—that's correct. Yeah. So this is not designed to produce white light, or what I like to call white light, which is the light that we we use within our space. This is specifically for inactivation of microbes, so killing viruses, bacteria, fungus, and mold pathogens. Um, within any space. And so our units end up getting installed within uh, air systems, so like air handling units, duct systems within buildings to do continuous air disinfection um, as fresh air is actually making their way into the building or air is recirculating in a building. We have products that actually go into into a room. So like the room that you're in right now, um, we have a new product, which is our Puro Protect system that actually will do low dose UV. It's a very narrow band of UV, um, originally developed by Columbia University in New York. And it's actually a safe spectrum of UVC um, that could be used while you're in the space. It's always knocking down pathogen levels, um, killing, you know, inactivating viruses, inactivating bacteria on surfaces and in the air. Um, And then we have acute systems that are used in like healthcare environments, um, like our system that was originally deployed by the MTA in New York. Um, and those are designed to disinfect a large space in short periods of time, but not safe to have people in the space. So it's a very high intensity unit, um, very well tested um, and designed for like operating room environments and things like that. My guest is Brian Stern, CEO and co-founder of Puro UV Disinfection Lighting. PuroLighting.com is where you can find them. Uh, you briefly mentioned it, but what happens to those viruses and germs when the light hits them? Do you hear little screams when you turn it on in a room of, fire, of viruses? Does does it it, it breaks up their cells or just, you said, maybe uh, keeps them from replicating? That's, that's correct. So it keeps them from replicating. So if you think about like a virus... Um, The reason that you get sick is that a virus makes its way into your body and then it replicates. 
Um, and so it uses your cells to replicate, re reproducing, and then you end up getting a cold or you know COVID or whatever it might be. Um, our systems uh, decrease the chance that a virus will be able to replicate in your system by damaging the virus. Um, so the virus or, still is out there. It doesn't necessarily kill it right away. It just says, all right, now, now you're just basically sterile. So you're, it's a eunuch virus. <laughs> Theoretically, yeah. So, um, so the thing with the virus, there's, there's this weird thing. Viruses are technically not alive in the sense that uh, we think of like something being alive. Um, so when, it, when we say like kill, it's really technically inactivate. Um, the virus can no longer replicate, but physically it's still there. So that that virus that viral cell is still somewhere. Now, it could be on your desk. It could be in there, but it it's inactive. So it's it can't do any harm to you. Um, but uh, you know our system will just inactivate it in that way. And the same goes for bacteria, molds, and funguses. Um, and so uh, what we found with like our systems especially in like air, air handling systems is they'll, they'll decrease any type of like mold or fungus, fungal growth within those areas, which is kind of a secondary driver. Um, Cause that actually causes a lot of, a uh, lot of uh, issues within schools, commercial facilities, healthcare buildings. Um, if you have mold and fungus growing within their handling, that's then getting pumped throughout the rest of the building. And we decrease that uh, significantly. During the beginning of the pandemic, we really didn't know, whether it, we were going to touch something, everybody was worrying, don't touch anything and, and use these little hooks to open up doors and use your feet to open up doors. And then you can't touch your face because we thought everything was, was touching getting into us. And then we heard that it was in the air. So can the light then do, it sounds like it can do both kill or, you know, I, I guess. Yes, yes, exactly. So. Um, our original systems that were deployed uh, early on were designed for primarily surface disinfection because they were acute short-term systems. At that time, people thought that the virus was primarily transmitting through surfaces. People were Cloraxing vegetables and uh, doing, doing all sorts of crazy things, um, but, but really no one knew. And so um, at that time, that system uh, was ideal just due to what we thought the virus was doing. Um, in, in reality, that specific virus, SARS-CoV-2, uh, is primarily an airborne virus. It's a very, very small, uh, it's a very small virus and it's, it's able to transmit very readily throughout the air. Um, and so we have systems that continuously disinfect the air. Um, so they're knocking down pathogen levels within the air itself, um, even while people are in the space talking to each other. Um, so. Uh, by by even reducing levels and not getting rid of them completely, but by reducing them, it decreases the chance of uh, contagion significantly. How how far away can the light um, deactivate these viruses? Is it five feet, ten feet? If the virus is fifty feet away, is it is it safe? And then laughing at you from from, from the other side of the room. Yeah. So in, in any type of light or radiation environment, so UV being the same, um, the further you get from a source, um, the obviously less intense it's going to be. And you, you can see this in day to day just with uh, a normal light fixture. The further you are from that light, the less intense that light source is. Um, and so we design a space so that we have overlapping coverage in most cases. Think of like a like a sprinkler pattern that you would have from like sprinklers in a building. You want to have overlapping coverage so that you're covering every space uh, as completely as you can. Um, and so we'll, our applications engineers will design a space to make sure that we have appropriate coverage throughout. But even having some of this will still decrease the likelihood that an airborne virus spreads because you have circulation within spaces. 
So even if a virus, you know, is on one side of the room, typically the, the air circulation will bring it to our light source or our UV disinfection system um, at some point, and we'll be able to inactivate a portion of that virus. How, and how long does it take? Is it instantaneous? Does it take a few seconds? Does it take longer? Do they need to be exposed to be deactivated for a, for a, a few minutes? Yep. So it's that's that's another very good question. So uh, it depends a little bit on our system. So like with our continuous air systems, for instance, our goal is to have uh, very effective single pass um, inactivation. So single pass, think of uh, a viral particle that's making its way past our units once. Um, and so like we have like a system called our Aurora, which actually has a fan and it pulls air in, it disinfects, it pushes it back out. Um, in that system, single pass, we have 99.974% inactivation of SARS-CoV-2. Um, so per pass. So every volume of air that makes its way through that has viral particles, we're achieving very high levels of inactivation of those viral So particles. if that one virus thought, ha, 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 I made it through your pass, sucker, uh, the next pass, then he's probably done. He's, yeah, and ch chances are you've reduced it enough where, you know, the chance of someone actually picking up the virus is going to be very low um, if they're around that unit. And that's what the goal is. We're never going to eradicate things completely. Um, it's it's all about reduction because um, you actually, it's it's all about the number of viral particles that you inhale or, ex or, ex or are exposed to that actually causes your body to, uh, you know, to have an infection. Um, when it's a small number, um, your body can typically fight it off very effectively. My guest is Brian Stern, the CEO and co-founder of Puro UV Disinfection Lighting. PuroLighting.com is where you can find out more information from them. We, we talked about how your first system on that Easy Mile bus uh, or shuttle, if you will, was in right there on, on the shuttle. And so people were coming in and off. So is, is it safe for people and pets to be around? Can I be under this light? Is it uh, a concern to be under long-term exposure? Let's say I'm a bus driver and I'm on the bus for eight hours. Is that going to be a problem? So the, the system that we used on the Easy Mile Shuttle is actually a contained system. So uh, it's a fan-based system where it's, it's pulling air in. Um, it's going through a high-intensity UV chamber and being pushed out within the environment. And so there's actually no UV exposure on that shuttle at all. Um, and the air that they're, in, that they're breathing in is going to be uh, significantly healthier to inhale than uh, air that you would inhale otherwise, just because you will have a reduction of viruses, bacteria, mold, and fungus. But there has to be some collateral damage too, right? Just like your probe, when you're taking an antibiotic when you're sick, you're, you're getting rid of all the good biotics that are in your tummy. So that, that's actually another thing that's been brought up in the categories. Well, what about the good microbes that you're exposed to? Well, in a general day, um, and if you think about riding on a shuttle um, or being in a hospital environment, um, you're, you're being exposed to millions and millions of different types of microbes every single day. You have microbes living on your skin and within your body. Um, you have a whole microbiome that's, uh, that your body supports. Um, within certain environments, there's always going to be a higher risk of the bad microbes making their way into your body. Those are viruses, those are bacteria, uh, different things. Um, and we're trying to reduce the chance of that in certain environments. Um, but you walk outside, you're being exposed to millions of different microbes. So you're always gonna have that. But when you're in a healthcare environment and you're in a hospital, you don't wanna be exposed to many of the pathogens that are in those healthcare environments. And so by reducing it, it actually reduces the chance that you'll get some sort of a secondary infection within a healthcare environment, 
reduces the chance uh, that someone then has a fatal uh, interaction with one of those pathogens. Um, go walk in the forest, get exposed to the good microbes. Don't be exposed to the ones that are, you know, in a subway, in a subway, on a bus, or you know, in a hospital OR. Those are the places where you you just don't need that interaction every single day. It almost sounds like your technology could have almost prevented it as as the start of the pandemic when we were talking about it could have prevented all these passenger issues where they had to wear their mask and, and get so frustrated on these airplanes. Because let's say you walked before you get onto the airplane, let's say even on the jetway, that is more of a sealed environment and your machines are cleaning that air and therefore that air is clean. And then on the airplane, you're constantly cleaning the air and you probably would eliminate the need for masks almost in, in those instances when you're in those confined environments. So the goal with our systems is to decrease the chance of an infection within those spaces. Um, you know, as I mentioned, walk, walking outside, you've got plenty of, there's, there's a high volume of air. When you're in a small contained space, you can think of like an office or a conference room or an airplane or, you know, the, the train car taking you from one terminal to the other in an airport. You're in a very tight environment um, where there's, there's a lot of people um, that are exhaling quite a bit of different types of things. Um, and uh, in those environments, you need secondary kind of air circulation. You also need secondary infection control. And that could be on the surfaces where you're touching the actual handles. It could be in the air itself um, by doing continuous air disinfection. Um, just because you think about the number of microbes that people are exhaling, number of viral particles that people are exhaling, it, they end up becoming very concentrated in those types of environments. And that's why you get sick. Um, that's why people would always complain about getting sick from travel, things like that. It's You, you are in a very... Uh, there's a very high likelihood that you're being exposed to something that's pathogenic in those spaces. It, it it seems like it would be revolutionary for train stations and for places like Union Station downtown, where a lot of people gather, not, not just to catch a train or a light rail or, or something like that, but they come together as a, as a social environment. 100%. So those environments needed this technology before the pandemic. What the pandemic brought to light was that there were technologies that were needed in the market to help mitigate some of these risks. You know, I, I don't know if you have children, but I've got a, a kid in yep. kindergarten right now. Um, I've, I've got a two-year-old. Yeah, I have two daughters. So yeah, okay. I know, so, I know I mean, germs. <laughs> so they, you know, in, in preschool and kindergarten, they pick up they pick up colds, they pick up flus all the time. Um, and it's because, you know, they're in a contained space with a lot of other kids um, and adults that are transmitting things. And so they're, you know, they, they don't have to get sick every two weeks. Like we don't want our kids yeah, to get right. sick every two weeks. Um, and so there are ways to reduce that. Um, will it decrease the chance that they'll get sick? No, so, you know, so if some child sneezes on another child, that child theoretically is gonna get sick, but we can reduce the chance that, you know, someone that had like norovirus, which is like a really bad stomach bug that, that goes through schools very quickly, uh, that that transmits because that stays on surfaces for up to four weeks um, where it can still be active at that time. So um, you see schools that end up having to shut down um, like multiple like elementary schools or high schools, uh, districts that have to shut them down because of like things like norovirus. It's because they have to go in, they have to clean all the surfaces to make sure that they've actually like tried to eradicate the virus. Um, because it's so contagious and it just whips through those types of environments. So having like surface disinfection that's continuous where you're knocking down the levels on door handles, on books, on toys, whatever it might be, um, just decreases the chance that you have like 
that like kind of endemic outbreak in an environment like that. But like, can you make, let's say a handheld version? So if you're on like, like, like a flashlight, so if on, if I'm going on a cruise, right, I can then take that and then disinfect my own room. So we don't personally make one. There are companies that do, but there are, there are risks with the use of those types of devices. Um, you know, as I've mentioned, UVC is safe when it's used in the right way, but uh, in a consumer device, someone that's using it in like a handheld fashion, there's typically not the level of precision that, uh, that we would have with like an installed design solution. And that's why we try to go the route of designing, having it autonomous within the space so that someone doesn't have to do it themselves. Um, and then you always have that same level of disinfection. You always have the same coverage. And hopefully you have dramatically lower pathogen uh, contraction within those spaces. So if I had one of those handheld things and I was holding it against me and just scanning myself every day or every other day, am, am I going to start to see my skin peel off? Or <laughs> so, so it depends. It very much depends on the spectrum of UV that you're using. Um, for instance, like our newest, our newest lights. There which, you go. Uh, this is our Pure Protect product. So this is designed to be like installed on a ceiling. Uh -huh. um, but you can see it's small enough to be held in your hands. Um, so it's, they're not that big of a unit. Is it, is, is, does it have to be like plugged in or, or hardwired? It does, in? yeah. Okay. Today, all of our units do. Um, and, and that's our goal because we can, we can design around the amount of UV dosage that you're getting. Um, when you get into handheld applications, um, it just becomes a higher risk application uh, for a consumer to use it incorrectly. And so we feel that that is not the right way to apply UV in a space. Um, there are more efficient ways and effective ways to do that. So, so that, uh, that unit that you just showed me that I could put, let's say, in my living room or in my kitchen where we gather all the time, uh, are, are, is that, an a, is that a, a, at a price point where the average person can uh, put it in their home? Is it affordable for them? So these are designed primarily for commercial spaces, at least today. Um, it is affordable enough where someone could put it in their home, especially if it was like high risk, uh, a person that had high risk, uh, maybe someone that was undergoing some sort of like a, a medical treatment uh, that increased the risk of secondary infections. Um, this unit is cost effective enough where someone could use it in their home, um, but really it was designed for commercial and industrial applications. And we're one of the only companies in the world that has a UL listing on it, which is like a safety listing uh, for safe use in occupied spaces. I think we're one of three, if my memory is correct. So we've talked about how you could put it in a, uh, in a, in a airplane where let's say yes. there's a hundred or an 80 or 200 people in, in the airplane. We, we've seen them in, in smaller buses that hold maybe 10 or 15 people. But what about, let's say my personal car or a van, let's say one of those shuttle vans that takes people up into the mountains, right? Well, can you put it in something like that? So it's, it's a communal van where there's a lot of people, a shuttle bus going to or from the airport, something like that. So, so the product that you saw on the Easy Mile Shuttle uh, is a product that we call the Aero, um, and it is a low-profile unit. It's only about eight inches in diameter, and that could be used in any type of a vehicle. Because it's a contained unit, it can literally sit on your desk, disinfecting the air around you. Um, it's designed for disinfection of smaller spaces. So think of like single occupant bathrooms, think of like a shuttle, um, you know, it could be used uh, throughout like a bus or, uh, or an airplane. And it's designed for kind of localized disinfection of the air that's, uh, uh, that's within about five feet of it. That's all fascinating. It really is. What, what, what is the next 
level of this technology? Is, is it bigger places, bigger spaces, smaller spaces, personal units? I mean, where do you take this technology now? So our goal is to create basically systems for buildings um, because, you know, you think about where the highest risk is, where people will get kind of the most bang for their buck. And it's in, it's in enclosed buildings. Uh, it could be healthcare. It could be schools. Um, we're doing a tremendous amount in schools right now. Um, you know, those areas, we're trying to cre basically create systems and then create connected systems. Um, so we have a system called PuroNet, which is our controls platform and monitoring platform to make, make sure that our systems are working uh, at their highest level of performance. Um, and so that system will connect with our different devices um, so that not only do you know what devices are in each space, but then you know, okay, hey, this, this unit needs maintenance or there's some sort of an electric, electrical problem, I need to go replace this. Um, so that the system is performing at the level that you're expecting. Um, and uh, that's our goal is to make systems that can be used throughout an entire facility um, so that you walk into that school and you know that the air quality in that school is as high as it can be um, or at you know, a much higher level than it is today, that uh, you walk into that healthcare environment and you're sitting in that ER waiting room um, and you feel comfortable. You're not concerned necessarily about that person who's coughing, you know, a, a few few rows down, um, because those are those are environments where it's you know it's a relatively high risk environment. Um, and yes, not every virus that we get uh, is is extremely deadly, but even the flu causes a significant amount of deaths per year um, within the U.S. and worldwide. And so there are things that we can do to reduce uh, the impact of some of those viruses. That actually will have meaningful impact on on our lives and on uh, a lot of households throughout the world. That's why you need to make a little mo a mobile one where I can wear it on my chest, have tubes like a scuba mask, and go <laughs> right, and then I'm just breathing that pure air all the time. Maybe maybe one day, you know. See, um. I'm an idea guy, Brian. I'm an idea guy. There's your next brilliant idea right there. So uh, yeah, so I mean, it's um, there's a. What's cool about UV is there's just like, there's an amazing number of uses for it. Um, it's been used uh, for decades in water disinfection systems. So like the water that we drink from the municipality typically is going through UV disinfection. So there's known uses uh, for it. Um, I would say that we're expanding the use of it in general environments um, because uh, it could be an extremely valuable technology in those spaces. And, and did you have, do you have metrics of showing how well it works? You go to a building and say, this is what your level is now. Let's turn on our system. And then in a week, this is what it is now. Sure. So you can, you can do that with like air sampling is sometimes challenging to do for like pathogen load because there's so many different types of microbes that they have to like culture, but all of our units get independently tested before we ever bring them to market. So um, they go to like an independent testing lab. And if we're trying to do like uh, air, air systems, for instance, I mentioned our product called the Aurora, which is like a high volume air disinfection system. It went to a lab where literally they inject SARS-CoV-2 into a contained environment in the air. They know how many uh, microbes are in the air before and how many microbes actually uh, end up in the air afterwards. And so those are the types of tests that we do on our units to make sure that the efficacy is where we're expecting it to be. Um, we're able to uh, to model uh, expected efficacy just through the computer models that, that our engineers use. Um, but then we validate it in, uh, in real world applications. 
it's all fascinating stuff, Brian. I I, um, I think it's going to be revolutionary, really, getting more of these units, like you said, in buses, in trains, in places. Maybe it'll make people feel more comfortable because they haven't since the pandemic started, and maybe even before, too, of getting on a bus and being grossed out by all the stuff that can be on a public uh, bus or train. And, and I think that's that's the biggest thing is people knew that there were these issues before the pandemic. Um, the pandemic really made them come to light. But I can tell you that, you know, when you're you're taking you know the shuttle in like an airport, you're always kind of afraid to touch yeah. that uh, to touch uh, touch that handle. And so you know, I think people were pretty cognizant of that before. I think they're a lot more cognizant of it now. Um, and I think they're they're more aware of like the real risks um, that kind of come from that. Um, but this isn't a new problem. You know, this problem has been along, has been around for as long as we've existed. Um, you know, and some of the first main uses of UV. So, you know, we weren't the first company to come out with UV. Were during the polio epidemic um, in the 1940s. Um, they actually used UV upper upper air disinfection in classrooms. Um, and if my memory is correct, the testing that they did, and this was done by you know the U.S. government at that time. There was like a 40% lower contraction rate of polio in the classrooms that had deployed it. Um, and that was obviously a very, very uh, serious epidemic at that time. But um, it's, it's been used for quite a while. We're just we're evolving how it gets used and making it safer to be used in spaces. You're just ready for the next superbug. I mean, can you, could, could, could you conceivably kill the next superbug, any bug? I mean, really, is there a bug out there that, that's, not, that's impervious to this thing? Uh, no. So um, the beauty of this technology is it will be effective against any type of pathogen that comes along. Um, there's three main classes of pathogens. We've tested against all three main classes. Um, and even when SARS-CoV-2 came around at the beginning of the pandemic, you know, they were asking us, will this kill SARS-CoV-2? And I said, I don't know, but it seems that it is a similar type of virus to some of these other viruses that are present, and we've tested against these other types of viruses. What we found is that that was accurate. It's actually much easier to kill SARS-CoV-2 with our technology than some other viruses. It takes twice as much of a dosage to kill the flu as it does to kill SARS-CoV-2. So, um, so the answer is yes. Um, it's all a matter of what the dosage is that's required to actually uh, inactivate that specific pathogen. So the flu is still hanging out there saying, we're number one, we're number one. <laughs> I mean, the, the, flu, the flu has been around for a long time. There's a million different, you know, variations of it. Um, and, you know, it's one, it's one of many different pathogens that, you know, you, you end up having to potentially protect against, you know, on an annual basis. There's a reason that we get a flu shot every year. Right. Um, you know, it dramatically decreases uh, the likelihood that you get the flu, even if it doesn't uh, decrease it 100%. And and if we don't want to get the shot, then we'll just buy one of your units and hold it on our and, chest and, and get some tubes right there so we're doing it like a scuba unit. We, you know, if, once you patent that, you know, we'll be happy, happy to talk about it. But, um, okay. you know, oh, you need uh, me to do it first. I was, hoping, <laughs> I was just looking for 5% for my ideas. But, you know, however you want to work this, Brian, is fine uh, with me. <laughs> uh, but, but, yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's, it's anything. It's, you know, there's 185 different uh, vir viruses that make up the common cold. So um, there's, there's a ton of different things. Um, and, it, unfortunately, it's ever-evolving. Um, you know, some of the science that I'd say is, has come out since the pandemic on, you know, vaccines and medications to combat them, I think is remarkable. I think our technologies, along with some of the other kind of air system technologies, can really help to just decrease the chance that there's an infection in a space. And so 
you have to combine multiple layers. Like we're, our system is not, it's not gonna you know, just decrease things by 100%, but it is one layer that is well-tested, um, it's well-certified, and uh, it can be used in just about any environment safely. It's like going out in the cold. You just don't need the jacket. You also maybe need a shirt and a vest and then the jacket too. Right? You, you always need, you always need layers. Oh, the you layers. Don't know what, yeah. So our system is one, one of those layers uh, to help combat, uh, you know, help, help combat the next pandemic or epidemic, whatever it might be. There you go. Well, Brian, Brian Stern, CEO and co-founder of Puro UV Disinfection Lighting. Thank you so much for your insight. The information, I think it's fascinating stuff and uh, I appreciate your time. Thank you, Jason. I really appreciate your time as well. Thanks for having me on. So that link for Puro and their lighting systems, it's in the description of this show, as are all my contact links. It's a pretty interesting system. It was just when I saw it out there in Golden last year, just this little box basically on the ceiling of this uh, autonomous bus that just recirculates the air coming, you know, coming through there. And the bus gets recirculated air anyway because it's really small. And the doors open. It takes up like about a third of the side of the bus when the door opens. So a lot of air is flowing in and out anyway. Um, and it's just uh, going to kill any of the viruses that are, I guess, in there. If somebody's breathing in and out, uh, they're spewing their... They're, they're, they're shedding their viruses, if you will, into the air. And this thing is supposed to, boom, zap them. Zap them dead like Raid. <laughs> I used to love those commercials. Raid kills bugs dead forever. Isn't that kind of triple redundancy? Killing dead forever? Uh, I Anyway, I received a few traffic-related questions after last week's episode, uh, giving out uh, some of the answers to questions that I've received lately, and including a question that I received about why gas prices are, are you see the gas prices and you see that nine-tenths at the end of a gas price. Uh, somebody asked me about that. And then somebody also asked me an interesting question uh, about shipping vehicles from Hawaii. How often do you see cars with uh, Hawaiian license plates. And it makes me think, uh, after after this viewer sent me this email, why would you ship your car to the mainland uh, if, if if it costs so much? I, well, I guess I don't know how much it costs. I guess I'm going <laughs> to investigate. It, it seems like it would cost more than just selling your car in Hawaii and buying a new one here and using that money if, if, instead of selling, instead of uh, buying. Oh, I, anyway, I'll, I'll, I'm going to investigate that and I'll report back to you about how that works. So I thought that was an interesting question. Um, and so I'm, I'm researching those now. Anyway, I would appreciate any of your questions if you want to send them to me on any of the contact links. Or, of course, you could leave it on the listener hotline at 303-832-0217. Thanks again for being here. Thanks for listening. And until next time, I'm Jason Libber, the Traffic Guy. Be safe and, as always, happy motoring.